0: Typically, when we utilize this sort of worship format, I stick with just the single assigned scripture reading that I'm planning on preaching from and utilizing for the sermon. But this time around, two of the three assigned lessons fit together a little too well to try and just use one or the other. And so today, we're actually gonna use both of them. So you get not one, but two scripture readings today. Now, our first reading comes from Genesis chapter 15, verses one through six. After these things... The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid. Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and count the stars, if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Our second reading from today comes from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1-3 through 3 and 8-16. through 16. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he set out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land. "'living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, "'who were heirs with him of the same promise. "'For he looked forward to the city that had foundations, "'whose architect and builder is God. "'By faith he received power of procreation, "'even though he was too old, and Sarah herself was barren, "'because he considered him faithful who had promised. "'Therefore from one person, and this one as good as dead, "'descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven, "'and as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore.' All of these died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth, for people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had an opportunity to return, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God indeed, God has prepared a city for them. The word of the Lord. People of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. Shortly after I moved here to Underwood, which has been about nine years ago now, I remember a summer evening. I was sitting out on my back deck, just out in the yard, and kind of looking around. And it occurred to me, even though it had gotten dark that it was not very dark in my backyard. Now, if you're familiar with the neighborhood in which the church and and the house, which of course is right across the parking lot, if you're familiar with this neighborhood, you might know that there are a lot of various street lights, a lot of light sources kind of all over the neighborhood. And so at least in the, the parking lot and then directly over into my backyard, there's not a whole lot of dark spots. Even when it's dark outside, it's not very dark. And because of that, because of the presence of something that we call light pollution, In the middle of the night, if you look up at the sky, you can see some stars, but you can't see a lot of them. There's just not very many because the light blocks it out. Now That being said, even though in a small town of Underwood, Iowa, we block out a lot of the starlight, soon, very, very soon, I'm going to be in a place where it is the polar opposite. I'm leaving later on today, as you are watching this, And I will be heading out towards the mountains of southern Colorado, out in a very remote place where when it gets dark, let me tell you, it is dark. There is no light pollution at all. And if you look up, you can see an incredible number of stars, far too many to count. There are just stars everywhere. Now, it's amazing what we can see when there's not light blocking it out. But that's just what's visible to our naked eye and what's filtering down through the atmosphere. Over the course of the last several centuries, there is an invention that came around that has allowed us to see even farther, and that's something known as the telescope. And as telescopes have gotten more sophisticated and more more advanced and over and over and over again, we have been able to peer farther and farther and farther into the depths of space. And this has increasingly improved up until just very, very recently, maybe about a month or two ago when we started hearing, or at least I myself heard for the first time about something called the James Webb Telescope, which was positioned, it's, it's actually out in space. I think it's like a million miles from Earth. I don't know. It's a ways out there. But it is the the most sophisticated and most advanced telescope ever created And it has taken pictures of some of the deepest, darkest positions of of space that we can witness and begins beaming them back there. And about a month or so ago, all of a sudden, for the first time, they released images that the the Webb telescope had, had found, the things that it had observed, the light sources that it was able to pick up in this darkest, darkest part of space that it had been exposed to. And let me tell you, this picture was incredible. We could see galaxies and we could see what looked like vapor clouds and nebulas and all kinds of stuff. And I don't know how they do these calculations. I don't know how they figure this stuff out. That is math that is far, far more advanced than I am capable of. But they have theorized that some of these light sources that we are witnessing in this amazing picture date back to sometime around 200 to 300 million After the Big Bang. Now, two to three hundred million years to us seems like an incredibly enormous, unfathomable amount of time. But in the grand cosmic scheme of the cosmic timeline, that's not even a blip on the radar. And so to look that far back, we are seeing things that are just amazingly incredible to witness. Now, as I think about all of this stuff and all of this picture and all of these amazing things that are are within it, I'm not the only one who wonders about it. And as they released these pictures, a question was asked, well, how much of the night sky does this picture, this amazing picture represent? And the person who answered the question said, if you took a grain of rice, which as you know is not very big, and you held it up at arm's length to the sky, that infinitesimal tiny little spot that's being covered by that grain of rice, which by the way is probably close to the size of a grain of sand, that's what this picture represents. And so... If that tiny little speck of the enormous night sky reveals this incredibly vast, enormous, beyond our ability to even begin to comprehend how immense the the size and space is being covered by this picture alone, if that that amazing thing that's in that picture is covered by that tiny little bit, which is part of an enormous sky, just think. Can you even begin to wrap your head around the the immeasurable cosmos that somehow God has created and is still creating because observations have been made that the cosmos is continuing to expand and new things are coming into creation all the time. Creation continues. God's creation continues. Now think about all of that. And we begin to find our way into this story, into this character that we have heard about today, Abram, also known as Abraham. Abraham, Abram, who became Abraham, is one of many people who underwent a name change because of the encounter with God. And I love Abraham so much. In terms of various characters that we encounter through the scriptures, he's one of my favorites, and his story is incredible. Now, in order to find Abraham's story, which is actually pretty lengthy, you got to go back really close to the beginning. you got to go all the way back to Genesis. His story picks up about chapter 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there, and it goes on for quite a while. And what this guy goes through is kind of incredible. Now, here's what we know about Abraham. He's one of three sons of a guy named Tara. One of his brothers dies. So we've got Tara who is the dad who's kind of the chieftain of this group of people like this nomadic clan somewhere in Mesopotamia what we would call present-day Iraq. And they're living in this place that the scriptures tell us is the land of the Ur of the Chaldeans, and suddenly the voice of God appears to this guy named Abram, who I'm going to call Abraham, same guy, who appears to Abraham, and this voice says, I want you to take your stuff, your household, your immediate household, take your wife, Sarah, maybe bring along your nephew, Lot, because he's kind of a cool dude, so you can bring him too. I want you to take your immediate stuff, leave your father, leave your father's clan, leave everything that is familiar to you and go into a land that direction. I will show you and I'll tell you when you get there. And Abraham basically says, um, okay. And then as they start to go, God also says, and by the way, I'm going to make of you a great nation. All of the world will be blessed through you. All nations will be blessed through you. It sounds like a pretty good deal. And Abraham's like, sounds good. Let's go. He packs up his tent. He takes his wife. He takes his immediate household. He brings his nephew Lot along, and off they go. And they go on travels. And he's just remembering this amazing promise that God has made. I'm going to make of you a great nation, and all the world will be blessed through you. And they're traveling around and they're traveling around and they're traveling around. And the other thing that God also says in that whole thing is, I will bless the people who bless you and I will curse the people who curse you. And it sort of seems like maybe Abraham forgets that because eventually in their travels, they make it to Egypt. Now, Egypt was like the superpower of the day. And there were a lot of powerful people. And it seems in this moment, we begin to see that Abraham is maybe not quite this like upstart, amazingly holy dude that we probably tend to think of him because he's kind of a trickster. And we hear that Sarah is apparently kind of attractive and he's worried that because of that, he will be killed because someone will be jealous and will want Sarah for him to take Sarah as their wife. So he says, you know what? She's not my wife, she's my sister. And because of that, they look upon him with favor. And in fact, the king of Egypt actually takes her into his household and blesses Abraham and gives him lots of riches and things go really well. And until they start to figure out, oh, he wants to marry her. And then they realize, oh, that's Abraham's wife. And so instead of Abraham being punished for this whole situation, they give him more stuff and they send them all on their way. I wish I could say that's the only time that happens, but the same thing literally happens again later on. Two times, Abraham does all this crafty stuff to try and save his own skin, and he benefits from it. He makes riches from it. He, he gains wealth from this whole situation. And we begin to realize that maybe, just maybe, while he's an important figure, he might not be a super upstanding guy. But through all of this that's going on, he's still remembering this promise that God has made. I will make you a great nation. And eventually, in their ongoing travels, they end up in the place that we now know as the Holy Land, or Israel, or Palestine. And God says, look around. All this land that you will see, I will give to your descendants. And at this moment, it's been like 10 odd years, give or take. And Abraham's kind of like, um, yeah, God, I've been holding on to this promise for a while. You promised me that there was going to be some descendants. And you promised great nation and all the nations of the earth will, will be blessed through it. And that's really cool. And I, I, I believe you. I totally believe you. But um, God, um, I don't have any kids. And uh, my wife is barren, and so it kind of seems like kids aren't really the thing for us. And then in what we hear today, Abraham says, how can I have descendants? I have no children. My heir is a slave from my household. What are you going to do here, God? He poses what I think is an honest question. It's certainly okay to believe God and still have questions, and we seem to have that example here from Abraham. And we hear God takes him outside and he says, look at the stars. Can you even begin to count them? And I think as Abraham looked up, without any light pollution, without any of the lights of Underwood or any of the other countless bright places, he must have seen this incredible amount of stars in the skies. Too many to count. And as we know, as we have talked about already, far, like a tiny infinitesimal blip on the cosmic radar of what's actually out there. And God says, your descendants will be like that. And yet again, Abraham believes him. Now, more time goes on, more time goes on, and more time goes on, and Abraham kind of starts to get impatient, and so does Sarah. And so they do something that at the time was culturally acceptable, even though to us it's very foreign and almost a little icky, that Sarah says, I want you to take my slave girl and have children with her, have children for me with her. Again, we don't like it. It seems foreign. But at the time, that was common. And so they do that. And then there's all kinds of these weird, new, family-broken, strange dynamics going on between Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and, and this slave sort of kind of wife, kind of sort of concubine, Hagar, and her son, Ishmael, who's Abraham's son, but is kind of sort of an error and kind of sort of illegitimate because of the whole situation. It's just really, really messy and everybody's just kind of at, on edge about it. None of it's really, really good, but more time goes by and more time goes by and more time goes by. And yet again, Abraham asks the question, hey God, remember this promise that you have made. And God replies back, it will be your son And not Ishmael, it's going to be Isaac. And it's finally like 25 years have gone by since that initial promise. And there's been all kinds of hurdles. And there's been all kinds of issues. And there's been times when Abraham's been kind of a jerk. And there's been times when family dynamics got really messy. And there's been all kinds of issues. But finally, against all odds, In their old age, Abraham's pushing 100 and Sarah's like 90 and all of a sudden they have this baby Isaac and we heard Isaac's name mentioned in the readings and we hear that this is where the promise continues and the promise of God begins to expand through Isaac and through Isaac's offspring and so gradually it turns into this amazing culture that we now know as the Jewish people. This is where it all starts. And it is from in that culture that eventually the entire world is blessed through the presence of Jesus, God in the flesh, but that's way down the line. That's way farther in the story. Now, I share all of this, and honestly, there's a whole lot more that I haven't even touched on when it comes to Abraham's story. It's really interesting. You should check it out. It's in Genesis. Go look it up. But as we hear in Hebrews... And we even heard right at the tail end of the brief little reading from, from Genesis, we hear the important takeaway when it comes to Abraham, that he believed the promise of God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Righteousness is believing that God is going to do what God says. Even if it doesn't make sense, even in the times when it might not feel like God's up to anything, even in the times when our timing doesn't line up with God's timing, or maybe vice versa, God's timing doesn't line up with our timing, and we start to ask questions, and we start to experience doubts, and we start to experience fears, and we ask, God, what's going on here? Are you going to do this or not? We still hold on to the promise that God will do what God says. That is credited as righteousness. Now, I appreciate this so much. And I appreciate the fact that Abraham, while vitally important, is not this bright, shining individual example of virtue and how to live a perfect life. The guy was a jerk at times. And that makes me feel a little bit better knowing that I have my capability of being a jerk. And that I'm not a perfect person. And yet, if Abraham is given the title of being the righteous one, or his is, is faith is credited to him as righteousness because he believes in God's promises, then we remember the same thing. We are also credited with righteousness when we remember the promise that God makes to us. And what is that ultimate promise? This is where the gospel comes in. And this is where Jesus is important, because... Our faith, the faith that we profess, the promise that we cling to is that God has shown us through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus that there is no length that God will not go to in order to be with us and to allow us to be with God. And nothing will overcome that. That is the promise, not even death. And if not even death can overcome God's promise for us, that also means that not even our shortcomings not even our brokenness, not the times when we are selfish and when we harm others and we harm our relationship with God. None of that will ultimately stand in the way of what God has promised. Abraham had doubts. Abraham had questions. Abraham took matters into his own hands because he was selfish and he thought God wasn't up to anything. And all of that did not take away the fact that God still called him righteous. Our failings don't either. This is the promise of the gospel. And what I love about all of this as it talks about the language of heirs. God tells Abraham, you will have so many heirs, so many descendants. The promise of the gospel is that through Christ, we are also made heirs to the promise of eternal life, whatever that ultimately is gonna mean. And here in our Lutheran tradition, we cling to the idea that this is our baptismal identity. When that promise of God becomes tangible for us and we have something to hold on to in the times of doubt, in the times of questions, in the times where we're like, God, what is going on here? We can cling to that and continue to hold on to the promises, to believe the promises of God that God will do what God says. And the final thing that I so love about this passage out of Hebrews is that statement God is not ashamed to be their God. I believe the same is true for us. Even though we are not perfect people, we are part of this amazing creation that God is somehow still making, that incredibly enormous, immense span of the cosmos. We are a part of it, and God claims us as very good, and nothing overcomes it, and it's out of God's great love that God will never be ashamed to claim us as children. May we hold on to that every single day in the good days and in the hard days and may we proclaim that truth out into a world that is desperate for it. Amen.